December 18th, 2023. We're in Masechet Berachot Andaf Yotet Amud Aleph in the wide lines, if you count down five lines right in the middle of the line. And the context will quickly develop itself to explain to us why we're talking about this here. But effectively, the first line over here will reveal to us what our full conversation will be. ben Levi, and have the following statement of Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi, Be'esrim ve'arba'a mekomot bedin menadin al kavod harav. In 24 circumstances, the Bedin, the rabbinic court and authorities, can and should excommunicate for the honor and respect of another rabbi or the rabbinate uh, in, in totality. Um, now, Harambam, in the end of, at the end of Hilchot Torah, in fact, enumer- enumerates, he counts all 24 of these circumstances, of these situations, if a person were to inappropriately act, speak, or uh, uh, display some sort of uh, some sort of behavior to the hachamim in a fashion that's inappropriate, that you would be excommunicated. So uh, the Gemara here that are on the betin or any rabbi. We're quickly going to see the examples. It does not mean a rabbi on the betin. It means a general or specific denigration. In other words, taking away from the honor of a rabbi or the rabbinate. They doesn't need the to be the betin. Doesn't need to be the betin. The betin are the ones who effectuate the nidui, the uh, the excommunication. Vikulan continued Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi. All twenty-four of these, although as I mentioned, even in the conclusion of the Gemara, although Harambam does enumerate them, the Gemara will not spell out all twenty-four. The Gemara will spell out several, and you'll see how we conclude this. Vikulan shaninu bemishnatenu. It certainly sounds like all twenty-four of them you'll find. In our Mishnayot. In fact, uh, Rashi, in his interpretation of this line, he says, in the last of the widest lines of Rashi, it says, Hashta Mashma, now it sounds like, Matsinu Shenidu Hachamim Adam Mekomot. It appears from the description in the initial line, we're going to have to change this afterwards, that you'll find in Mishnayot. 24 cases where historically there was a nidui. And in turn, again, nidui and excommunication, but we'll, uh, we'll, over the course of a little bit, understand that's not what it meant, but rather there are 24 ways of derived, or 24 um, situations which can be derived from learning the Mishnayot properly in situations where excommunication, nidui, is appropriate. Amar le Rabbi Lazar, Rabbi Lazar turned to Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi and questioned, Hecha, where are those 24 cases in the Mishnah where there's excommunication, where there's nidui al-kavod harav? Amar le, the response of Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi is, why are you bothering me about this? Lechi tishkah, go out and find it. You'll figure it out. You don't know Mishnayot? Well, go study them. You need me to reveal every secret to you? It's not even a secret. You could easily discern and discover those 24 cases. Nafak. Rabbi Lazar, indeed, so to speak, goes out, not physically, intellectually, he looks into the matter. Dak, he carefully discerns and reads and understands. Ve'ashkah, and he found Talat, three cases. He was looking for 24. His understanding of Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi is there's actually 24 cases recorded in the Mishnah where there was Nidui, and all he can find are three. Now we're going to record those three, and then, of course, we're going to question what happened to the other 21. Number one, a person who is, uh, acts in a shameful, scornful way with regards to netilat yadayim. Now, netilat yadayim, on 
two bases or two platforms is a rabbinic uh, enactment. First and foremost, with regards to Tirumah and Kodashim handling them, you need to do Nitilat Yadayim beforehand. Secondly, even Hulin, even if you're not dealing with something that's Kadosh, like eating bread, you need to do Nitilat Yadayim. The Mishnayot and Masechet Yadayim, in fact, Record and explain this, the Gemara in Masechet Shabbat, and the Gemara in Masechet um, Hagiga, and That's where you find this, a person who's Mizalzil. Now, again, we're going to have to find an example of this. If you're suggesting, and our understanding now is, there's an actual case in the Mishnah where there was excommunication for doing so, that's what Rabbi Lazar is going to find. So but that's number one. It's not disrespecting a rabbi. It's Correct. going against really any... That's why, that's why I mentioned the rabbinate. But it's not... There's much more than 24. Right. You're right. And as a result, we're going to, ultimately speaking, say these are paradigms, these are examples from which you'll learn the demeanor, the behavior is punishable by uh, nidui, by excommunication. But correct. It's about the general rabbinate and establishment. Does that mean if a person misunderstands and goes against the rabbis, they're excommunicated? No, it means, and we'll find out from circumstances, it's a zilzul, it's the way you do it. It's not per se what you're doing um, in a vacuum. (laughs) The second one is a person who speaks shamefully and uh, derogatorily against after their death. Now you understand the context. That's what we were talking about until now in the Gemara. Do the dead people after their death know what's happening? We had a full conversation about that. We're going to have an example of a person who, after the death of Tamideh Hachamim, speaks negatively about them and seems to be excommunicated for that. That's why this is brought up in our Gemara. Thirdly, the Hamegis or Magis Da'ato Kelape Ma'ala. A person who has gas really means thick. Da'ato means his mind. His mind is thick. In other words, haughtiness. A person who's haughty and self-centered, kelape ma'ala, literally means against the heavens. Now, uh, we'll find the case in the Gemara, and when we find that case, Rashi will explain to us that when you speak in a certain shameful way against HaKadosh Baruch Hu, you in turn, or to God, you in turn are as well, it's an interesting description, um, speaking shamefully against his emissaries, so to speak, the Tamideh Hachamim. Okay, but these are the three cases, and we're in turn going to delineate, we're going to spell out all three of these cases, and as I mentioned, giving you the full um, lay of the land ahead of us, we're then going to question, what about the other 21? Number one, we're going backwards. Uh, what's that last case you mentioned? Speaking shamefully middle, and... The middle, case. Uh, the middle case, I'm sorry. Okay, for one reason or another, we started with that middle case. Uh, why, uh, what's the case where you spoke negatively against Tamideh Hachamim? Ditnan. The Mishnah in Masechet Eduyot records... Who haya omer Rashi, the last of the wide lines, Akavya ben Mahalalel b'masechet eduyot. There's a famous personality, individual rabbi in the Mishnayot over there. His name was Akavya ben Mahalalel, and he's also recorded in, uh, once in Masechet Avot. But his opinions over there are very much pronounced and spelled out. Who haya omer? Once I mentioned some other things that he mentioned that he said in the midst of the Mishnayot. I don't need to again mention his name. You're supposed to know. Hu haya omer. In the middle of a conversation, I said to you, Akavyam ben Mahalalel said X. Hu haya omer. He furthermore said this. What, what was it? En mashkin lo et hagiyoret velo et hameshokreret. The halakha is with regards to a woman who's a sota. The Torah in Parashat Naso says, if a woman is suspected by her husband 
of the sin of infidelity, of sleeping with another man, of cheating on him, there was an elaborate way of checking and determining when she denies so doing, whether she indeed did so or not. That's called parashat sota. Of course, the woman is given water to drink, which has in it a uh, what's called Megillat Sota. It's a, a, a parchment upon which the Allah, the curse of the woman, is written upon it, uh, together with God's name as part of that curse. It's kind of dissolved into the water and she drinks that. Now, the Halakha says this Mishnah, according to Akavya ben Mahalal is that a Giyoret, a convert, a woman convert, or a Meshukhreret, a woman who's Meshukhra, which means she was initially a Shivhak Na'anit, she was a non-Jewish slave to a Jew. And the way it works in Halakha is that if a non-Jew is taken as a slave by a Jew, they have a partial conversion upon entrance to slavery. And then upon um, being set free, their freedom comes, their liberty comes with a full-fledged uh, gerut, a conversion. So, I mean, those are really identical for our purposes, a mishukhreret or a giyoret. And mashkin, they would not, if they're married to a Jewish man, they would not be checked based on this elaborate process known as sota if they were suspected in such a situation. Why would they be different than anyone else? Rashi quotes to us the derasha in the second of the wide line, uh, the narrow lines, lo etagiyoret dibene Yisrael amur parasha. There in parashat naso, when it describes the sota, it mentions bene Yisrael. Rashi interestingly adds as well that if the man was an evid mishukhra, meaning if the man was a gay, was a convert, as well, you don't do uh, the parasha of sota. Okay, it's a hidush of Rashi, it doesn't say that in the Mishnah, but that's the reasoning of Akavya ben Mahalalel, he points to a pasuk in the Torah. No sota for men. No, 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 but again, if the man is a convert, married to a Jewish from birth woman, in that situation, and she's the one who's accused, According to Rashi, she won't go through the Sota process. Why? Because B'nai Israel means that both parties are Jew from birth. Okay, says the Gemara of Hachamim Omrim, the Mishnah in Masechet Adu Yod says, the Hachamim disagreed with Akavya ben Mahalalel. Mashkin, we disagree. Whatever the Derasha, uh, for the specifics as to how they respond to Akavya, but that's their opinion. And they said further, the Hachamim, to prove their point, don't you know? Ma'aseh bekarkamit. Don't you know there was a woman, Karkamit? She says that was either her name or was based on the place she came from. Regardless, that's how we're referring to this woman. She was a woman who was Mishukhreret, a Shivhak Na'anit, who was um, set free, means she was converted, and Vihishkua, Shema'ya Ve'avtalyon, the heads of the academy at the time. Shema'ayan Avtalyon, who were the Nasi and the Avbetin, the chief and main rabbinic authorities in Jerusalem, they said, prescribed in this situation, that she go through with the sota process. Wait a second. That's a proof against you, Shema, uh, uh, um, uh, what's his name, Akavya ben Mahalalel. Your claim was that we'll only do it to Jews from birth. What about Karkamit? Amar lahem, Akavya ben Mahalalel, in a, as the Hachamim understood it, a highly inappropriate response said back, Dugma Hishkuha. We'll have to define those words in a moment, but apparently they're very inappropriate and derogatory. Viniduhu. And they, as a result, um, put him in excommunication. 
Umet benidoyo, and he died while in the state of excommunication. Visaklu bedinet arono, and this is what the Gemara describes in many places that when a person dies while being excommunicated, the bedin places either places or the version over here is they throw rocks or a rock on top of their tombstone. What's the reasoning for that? Harambam suggests it's to separate, to designate, to make clear. Others suggest it's further shame to them. The point is they died with excommunication. They never did the teshuba to get accepted back into the community. Oh, what were his words? Obviously, his words are going to be something against Shema'ya and Avtal. Yom, disrespectful. Keep in mind, we're looking for an example of ha-mesapera ha-mitatan hachamim. What do those words mean? Dugma, some sort of Example, says Rashi, if you take a look at Rashi, Dugma Hishkuha, says Rashi, Al Shahayu Domim Lahem. Dugma means example, Shemayan Avtalyon were an example similar to that woman. What does that mean? Hem Hishkuha, Shahayu Shemayan Avtalyon, Bim Deneb Anav, Shal Sanherif, Kedamrinan, Begitin, Perekanizakin. Rashi's quotes from the Gemara Masechit Gitin that Shemayan Avtalyon were descendants of Sanhiriv, which means to say their great, great, great ancestor was a convert. The suggestion in turn is that Akavya ben Mahalalel spoke negatively against them after their death, saying they weren't honest over here. They were wrong, but they believed, let's protect the convert and consider her a part of Am Yisrael in the full-fledged sense, because they themselves emanated and were born to a family of converts. That's inappropriate. You're suggesting that the rabbis didn't instruct and determine based on their understanding of the Torah, but just based on their insecurities. The truth is there's a debate. Rashi seems to suggest that they themselves were not converts. There is a debate because there's a Mishnah in the first chapter of Masechet Avot where Shema'ayan Avtalyon, who, as I mentioned earlier, with the Nasi and Avbetin have a statement. And the Mefarshim over there, most notably Magen Avot of Rashbats, um, he has a, a conversation about how they themselves may have been converts. Wait a second, is that okay? Well, it could be okay, but they were Nasi and Avbedin. Nasi and Avbedin are high positions of authority. Serara, a convert can't be that. The conversation <coughs> is either, as Rashi seems to suggest from that Gemara, they're just descendants, and as a result they were allowed to be, or alternatively, they were actual converts, but there was no one who could do the job as well as them. They were the greatest hachamim. That's why they were able to get it, even though they were converts. Tosafot gives a different interpretation to this Gemara from the Aruch. Tosafot dibura matchid dugma hishkuha. First, they quote from Rashi. And then four lines from the bottom, they write, Uba Aruch Piresh. Aruch, his name was Rabbi Natan. Uh, he was uh, an Italian rabbi, um, and he has a, a commentary called the Aruch on the Gemara. He interpreted this line differently. Dugma hishkuha metseva, which means to say they sketched it in our language, which means to say they didn't actually give claimed Akavya ben Mahalalel, this woman, the water, which was a water with the dissolved parchment in it. They gave her instead some water that was tinted, because pretending that this was an actual sota situation, and that's wrong to do. Why would they be doing so? Maybe for the same reason, they wanted to protect converts. What would, why is it wrongful to do? Because a person might know that she actually did sleep around, that she did commit the act of infidelity, and now she wasn't punished by her body bloating with the sotat. You ruined the system. Nobody trusts the Torah anymore. 
Okay, that's our first case that Rabbi Lazar found with regards to excommunication for those who speak or act against hachamim. Next, hamezalzel benetilat yadaim mayhi, says the Gemara. What's the case of a person who acts shamefully or treats netilat yadaim wrongfully? Ditnan, as the Mishnah says, Elsewhere, uh, this Mishnah is in the uh, is is in Masechet Eduyot as well, and it's commenting on the last recorded description. The last recorded description was exactly what we just read. Akavya ben Mahalaleil was excommunicated for his wrongful talk about Shmaiyan Avtalion. Amar Bihuda says this Mishnah Has v'shalom she'akavya ben Mahalaleil mitnada. You should know. Heaven forbid to even suggest you have the wrong story. Akada ben Mahalalel was never excommunicated. You want to know why? She'en azaran in elet al kol adam b'Yisrael b'chokma b'tarab yirat het ka'akavya ben Mahalalel. That's another way of saying. We'll explain the specifics in a second. There was no one greater in terms of wisdom, piety, purity than Akavya ben Mahalalel. Don't for a second say that he got excommunicated and certainly don't suggest that he died in that fashion where he was still excommunicated and they placed a rock on his aron, on his coffin. Never happened. Um, what do those specifics mean? She'en azaran elet al Israel. Who said that? So Rashi explains the context of for that statement just very briefly. At the time of shachitat uh, uh, of dealing with korban pesach, there were three separate groups that used to deal with this. They used to have three separate groups from Am Yisrael who would go into the mikdash into the area known as the azara, and they would lock the door for the first group, and then for the second group, and then for the third group, and then they would slaughter and deal with the korban pesach. So it's a way of when when we say that the doors of the azara were never locked with anyone greater than him inside is another way of saying that in a poetic fashion he was the greatest. Why does it say it like that? Why doesn't it just say there was no one greater? Maharsha suggests that the reason the Gemara uses this <coughs> language is to say not that he was greater than the Nasi and Avbetin. There were two individuals that were greater than him but maybe he was third in ranking. So you found a great example for saying he was third in ranking by saying at the time that he potentially was inside that Azara with the door lock one of the three groups, he would have been the greatest. Okay, anyway, Ela, so what happened? You're telling me to be Huda that Akavya ben Mahalale was never excommunicated. So then who was? You have some story, you know that there was, we have that legend, someone was excommunicated and they put the rock on the coffin, etc. Et minidu, who was it that the Hachamim did so? And what was the context? What's the story? Et El Azar ben Hanoch, a different individual, a different rabbi whose name was El Azar ben Hanoch. What did he do? Shepikpek ben Etilat Yadayim. He was doubtful, and it appears, at least to me, that it was a public doubt. He didn't just in his mind or in one conversation speak against Netilat Yadayim. He was opposed to Netilat Yadayim, which was a very important rabbinic enterprise, rabbinic introdu- introduction to the nation. Ukeshemet, and therefore Elazar ben Hanoch, who wasn't as pious, knowledgeable, and, and, and pure, pure as, as uh, Akavya ben Mahalalil. He was excommunicated for that pikpuk on Netilat Yadayim, Ukeshemet, and when he died, Shalchu Betin, Ve'enichu Even Gedola Alarono, and when he died, uh, the Betin sent, and instead of the language of they threw the stones at his coffin, it says they placed it, is it two separate stories done differently, or is it the same thing? There's a debate about that. Regardless, that's the story. This teaches you each of these stories, whichever one happened, or however it happened, that a person who dies in excommunication, is you place or you throw a rock on top of their coffin in order to designate and separate and give a certain shame to them. 
lastly, of our three cases that Rabbi Lazar discovered, again, number one, the Akavya ben Mahalaleo case with Avtalia, uh, 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 um, with um, with the two hachamim of the time period, Shema'ya and Avtalion. Number two, El Azar ben Hanoch in talking against Netilat Yadayim. Third, Hamegista'ato klape ma'ala ma'ihi. What's the case of acting haughtily in the face of heaven, so to speak? Titnan, after all, the Mishnah teaches the following. Shalach lo Shimon ben Shatach lechoni ha'me'agil. The Gemara Masechet Ta'anit and Afyotet tells an interesting story about this individual, Choni ha'me'agil. Now the details, some of them are very important for us right now. Others, not right now, but Masechet Ta'anit, fascinating and important to understand them fully in context. What's most important for us right now is the following. Honiha Me'agil was an individual living at a time during which there was drought. And as a result, he demanded by, you know, kind of drawing a circle around himself and demanding of heaven, he won't step out of this until there is rain, that there be rain. And the understanding of the generation, the Hachamim, was that God uh, heeded his call. But not only that, he furthermore, as the rain began to fall, the Gemara tells us, the story is told, uh, it was just coming down in small little droplets. And he said, this isn't what I asked for, Borei Olam. So God therefore sends storms that are strong, <coughs> rapid, and, and fierce. He says, this isn't what I asked for either. Each of those, this isn't what I asked for, seem inappropriate. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is heeding your prayer and then you're claiming back and you're screaming back at him and that's not what I wanted. The Chachamim's understanding, Shimon ben Shatach specifically turned to Honi HaMe'agil and said, you know something, that way of speaking, not sitting so well with us. Okay, so here it is. Ditnan, as the Mishnah teaches, Shalach lo Shimon ben Shatach lechoni HaMe'agil The truth is for that sort of language, that sort of public display, so to speak, of a haughtiness, klape ma'ala to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, you should be excommunicated. And in this context, Rashi says, well, what, how is he speaking against the Hachamim? Says Rashi, in Dibura Mathil Sarich, says Rashi, Sarich HaTalit Nadot. At the end he says, Kavod hamakom, kavod harafu. If you're talking about the honor of heaven, you're talking about the honor of those who are his emissaries, the hachamim as well. Okay, but wait a second. Shimon ben Shatach says to him, you're supposed to be excommunicated. So we already have our answer to the third case. In other words, this is a case where excommunication was appropriate. For some reason, it wasn't effectuated. Had you not been honi ata, if you weren't a very important person known as honi, guzrani alecha nidui, I would indeed, says Shimon ben Shatach, decree upon you excommunication. But you know something? I, says Shimon ben Shatah, have my hands tied. I can't do so. You want to know why? You sin. You act wrongfully to God, but he listens to you, just like a child, anyone who has children, and has a little bit of a fluid interaction relationship with them, knows your child sometimes, oftentimes when they put up enough of a tantrum, which is inappropriate and wrong, and they shouldn't be acting that way, you do concede, unless you're a very strong-willed, no midat rahamim parent, you oftentimes, or at the very least, sometimes give in to them. Says Shimon ben Shatah, you know, you spoke wrongfully, but I'm going to excommunicate you. Look, you acted wrongly. We all know that. You shouldn't have spoken like that. God listened to you, and therefore I have to back out of this. But any other person who would speak like this, 
clearly. They don't have that father-son relationship in the fullest. Like you with God, I would excommunicate. And about you and your relationship with God, the Pasuk says, the Pasuk says that your parents have a certain rejoicefulness, <coughs> happiness, and uh, those who birthed you are, uh, are, are rejoicing as well, have the gilad and happiness as well. Okay, that's what we have then in the Gemara Rabbi Lazar coming back to Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi and saying, I found three cases where there was excommunication for wrongful talk against the hachamim. Vetu leka. Tu means more. Leka means there's not. This is a rhetorical question. And there's not more? Rabbi Lazar, you couldn't find more than just three? The ha'ika, what about the following? Beraita, the hare yesh, ika yesh, detane, the beraita of Rav Yosef. And what was the Beraita of Rav Yosef? Todus Ish Romi, a famous individual, just for this. Todus, the man of Rome. Hinhiget bene Romi, he had a custom and he set forth the practice in Rome. Leha Achilan Gidayim Mikolasin Belele Pesachim. On Erev Pesach, what he would do is they would take kids. Uh, you know, the animal, a giddy, and they would uh, skew them, they would put them on skewers and roast them entirely. The full animal on the skewer, like shish kebab style, but you actually saw the animal. You know, lehavdil. when you go to, you see pictures of non-kosher places where they put the full animal onto the thing, and you put the kerev and the kera'ayim, the innards outside on the side of it, on that pole as well. Why would he do so? He would do so because that's the simple interpretation of the Pesukim in the Torah. When we had Korban Pesach, that's the way you did it. The Ukra'av, you would deal with them as well. So it means what he would do is he would put on, you know, if you ever have the question, you know, you have a child who's in kindergarten and nursery, they have the Mak Seder, the Model Seder. Uh, so uh, Model Seder Min HaGemara Min Alan, the answer is Todus Yishromi. He used to put on a show with them. Now, he wasn't actually telling them this is Kodesh. He wasn't saying to them this is a Korban Pesach, but he was treating it and roasting it in a fashion that matched the description in the Torah from when we had Korban Pesach. That made the Hachamim very nervous. You want to know why? They said, you're going to mislead people. People are going to believe that they're eating Kodesh. People in turn are going to start doing the full practice of Korban Pesach, saying, we saw, we heard that Todos Yishromi is doing that. Again, not to Honi HaMe'agel, this time to Todos Yishromi. Ilmale Todos Ata. Identical wording, though. He says, if you were not Todos, an important, dignified, set-apart individual, I would excommunicate you. Your actions are inappropriate. They're not in line with the way we should be acting as leaders. Now, he's not literally having Am Yisrael eat, as the statement is, Kodashim, Korban Pesach, sanctified, holy meat. Bahut means outside of the Mikdash. But it appears that way to people. And as a result, it's an inappropriate model Seder is not recreating the Mikdash scene. Over here, you're recreating it outside of the Mikdash. People will be misled. You'll have all sorts of mistakes that will be committed as a result. So that's the question of the Gemara. We have another case. If you do some sort of provocative external action which can be misconstrued by people, that's another of the 24. Isn't that another case? Rabbi Azar, how come you didn't count that? Answers the Gemara. Be'mishnatenu ka'amrinan. Ka'amrinan means we were saying. When Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi said there are 24 in the Mishnah, Rabbi Lazar went to find them. He was looking for the Mishnah. This one was Detaner of Yosef, which means to say it's a Beraita. Veha Beraitahi. Says the Gemara, Ube Matnitin Leka. Do you really not have others in the Mishnah? You only have three. Veha Ika. Don't you have the following? Haditran, the following Mishnah. There's a well known Mishnah from its 
full context in Masechet Bava Mitziah on Dafnun Tet. What's the context? What's Well, not the full context. What's the case? The case is the following. We're going to explain based on Rashi here. Rashi interprets it a little bit differently there in Bava Mitziah. It goes like this. The halacha is that a keli heres. If you have earthenware vessel, it's mekabil tumah, becomes contaminated. If something that imparts tumah touches it or goes into its airspace, and in turn, the only way to purify a klihetis is by breaking it. You can't immerse it in water, you can't burn it, there's none of that sort of action. So you have an oven made out of earthenware, made out of clay, and it came in contact with tumah. That's it, done. What if this earthenware oven, which initially was constructed in a way where it was clay, placed in a burning hot furnace, that's the way you make earthenware vessels and utensils, and in turn made into an oven, but now you cut holes in it. You cut holes in it. So instead of breaking the whole thing, you cut holes in it, which it ruins its structure, and you fill those holes with sand or with mud. So now it's no longer an earthenware vessel that was placed in um, fire, which turned it into a klicheres. It's a quasi klicheres. It's kind of klicheres, but it's filled in with adama or uh, uh, ground and things of that sort. What's the status? Does it change its status or does it maintain its tumah? There's a famous mahloka between the Bili Ezer and the Hachamim. Bili Ezer says it changes its status, it's now Tahor. The Hachamim say it's still Tameh. Anything that touches it is Tameh. This is what's known as the Tanur Shel Achnai. We're gonna talk about that here in our Gemara. Lastly, in terms of introduction, the full context of Masech Bava Mitzia is important. Rabbi Li'ezer then, in order to prove his point to the rabbis, that he's right, that it's Tahor, not Tameh, starts to perform miracles. He has the river change its direction. Halachas like me. He has a, finally a heavenly voice come out, of, come out and say halachas like Rabbi Li'ezer, in addition to several other miracles, which disturbs the Hachamim. That's not the way we resolve issues. We have principles. We have Yahid v'Rabim, Halakha Kerabim. We go based on majority view. Rabbi Li'ezer, you're saying that the Halakha is Bashamayim in the heavens. Lo Bashamayim he and they excommunicate him. That's the background. Says the Gemara, Ve'ha'ika haditnan. Don't we have the Mishnah that teaches us Hatacho Chuliot. If you bro, if you cut into this earthenware vessel, oven, this tanur shil heres, which became tameh, you cut holes into it, v'natan hol ben chulia lechulia. And in between those holes, in order to fix them up, you put hole, sand. Bili'ezer says it lost its status as a klihayres. Chachamim etameim vezehu, and this is the famous case of tanur shel, tanuro shel achnai. Now achnai, you should know, means a serpent. Why was this known as the serpent oven? My achnai. Why is this known as the serpent or the snake oven? Amar of Yehuda Marshmuel melamet sheikifuhu halachot ke achnai ze vetimuhu. The reason it was known as that is because the same way a snake or a serpent wraps itself around itself to the extent that its tail, once it wraps itself around and around and around, can even go into its mouth. The hachamim had questions upon Rabbi Li'ezer one after another after another, like a serpent that wraps itself around it. That's why it's known as Tanur Shalachnai. V'tanya in the Beraita teaches us Otohayom, on that day, heviu kol ta'arot shetir bili'ezer, anything that went into that sort of oven that bili'ezer said was tahor, now, because his opinion was, it lost its status as tameh, now it has the pure status 
and they burnt them in front of him, designating and showing Rabili Ezer, your opinion's wrong, publicly displaying. That is the wrong opinion. It is Tameh Ulbasov, and ultimately speaking, Berchuhu. The Gemara tells a full story about this. Berchuhu is Lashon Taginah, it's a euphemism. It doesn't really mean that they blessed him, it means they excommunicated him, but we speak cleanly. Oh, you see, there's another case. What about that case? Says the Gemara, one second. The Halakha is in the Mishnah. The story about the excommunication, where's that? Tanya, that's a beraita. Oh, that's why this isn't part of the statement of Rabbi Yosho ben Levi. You'll find 24 in the Mishnah. Filu haches, says the Gemara. Nonetheless, nidui, the excommunication, matnitin in the Mishnah, lo tenan, we do not find it in that case. The details of the excommunication are in the beraita, not in the Mishnah. So it means we have three cases of excommunication, two attempted cases, only from the beraita, and we're left with Rabbi Lazar looking at Rabbi Yosho ben Levi and saying, I spent all my time, I did all my research. Where's your 24 cases? I can't find any more. Says Gemara, Ela bechafdalet be'esrim ve'arba'a mekomot. Where are the 24? Hecha mishka hatla. Where do you find them? Answers the Gemara, Bi'oshua ben Levi midame milta lemilta. Bi'oshua ben Levi doesn't explicitly, this is where we go back on our initial suggestion, we thought we'll explicitly find 24 cases of excommunication. He doesn't find explicitly 24 cases. He's midame milta lemilta. He compares thing to think. He takes the three paradigms and, says Rashi furthermore, other cases where there's inappropriate conversation and disputes between the hachamim, speaking wrongfully about the other, approaching a matter wrongfully, and says, oh, there's another case, and there's another case. Does it ever say in the Mishnah that they got excommunicated? No. But he does find 24 cases which you can point to and say, here's one, and there's another. You see how he spoke to them? You see how he's going against the majority, etc.? Rabbi Lazar, Rabbi Lazar, the one who's searching for them and says, I can't find, it's not that he's denying, but he says, I, I wasn't able to compare one to the other. I wasn't able to appropriately, sensitively read all the Mishnayot in such a fashion and find the 24 cases. In summary, what we learned in the Gemara today, the Gemara began with the statement of Yoshua ben Levi, quoted because of the middle case of He said that there are 24 cases where you'll find excommunication known as Nidui for going against Kavod Harav. Rabbi Lazar says, where are they? Says Rabbi Yosho Levi, go out and find them. He comes back, he found three. He found these three cases of the Shemayan Avtalion case of Mesapera Han Mitatan. He found the other case of Mitilat Yadaim of El Azar ben Hanoch. He found the third case of, what was the third case of excommunication that he found? Uh, he found a third case as well of says that's all I found. The Gemara says there aren't more. Found two more cases, but those two cases, the excommunication or the whole circumstance is not in the Mishnah, it's only in the Beraita. And the conclusion in turn is, so where are those 24? Oh, here's how it goes with Yosho ben Levi, compared other cases and said, there must be an excommunication, this is appropriate excommunication, whereas Rabbi Lazar did not do so and therefore said, I can only find three. Amen ve'amen.